You're listening to Politics Weekly. To uh, be big underdogs uh, in the race uh, for the uh, the presidency. One of them is uh, joining me today. We can survive all those systems. What's going to happen if you legalize it completely? Politics Weekly is a podcast on politics, news, and principles. everyone welcome back to politics weekly uh this is uh uh this is the last episode of 2019 um uh this will be coming out on the last day of 2019 which will also be the last day of the decade uh and joining me again she was a previous uh, guest is quinaya fulton uh thank you for joining me again oh you're welcome and actually it's kiana oh i apologize sorry um, but anyways, so do you want to tell people a little bit about, uh, what you do on your podcast, uh, for people that are unfamiliar? Yeah. So the last time I was on your podcast, um, my podcast name was actually still ungrateful. I recently changed it to you, me and Polly. Um, I focus on all things political, mostly, uh, American politics, but sometimes I dive into some geopolitical matters, um, you know, for instance, like Brexit in the UK, but I mostly stick to give a commentary from a left point of view because I am a staunch liberal, um, but I mostly stick to American politics. And I also do some freelance writing on the side as well. All right. Uh, well, let's get into it. Uh, we, uh, we, haven't, we didn't have uh, an episode last week, so we'll be talking about the news from this week uh, and from last week. Uh, starting with uh, the big elephant in the room, uh, Donald Trump impeached. Uh, Donald Trump became uh, the first uh, or the third president uh, in history uh, to be impeached uh, by the House of Representatives. Uh, no Republican voted in favor uh, of uh, the uh, uh, of impeachment. Every single, uh, all Democrats except for uh, two voted for the first article of impeachment. Uh, although it should be noted that Justin Amash, uh, who was a Republican but switched to being independent, uh, did vote in favor of the articles of uh, both articles of impeachment. Uh, two Democrats uh, voted against the first article of impeachment. Uh, there was Jeff Van Drew, uh, representative from New Jersey, who voted against it, uh, as did Colin Peterson, uh, representative uh, from Minnesota. Um, uh, and, uh, for the second article of impeachment, there was a third Democrat who voted against the second article of impeachment, that Democrat being, uh, Representative Jared Golden from Maine. Um, uh, also, uh, there was one Democrat that voted present, uh, and that was Tulsi Gabbard from Hawaii. Um, uh, however, uh, the, uh, articles of impeachment may not be going to the Senate yet, uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi has said that she uh, is waiting to send them to the Senate to make sure that there will be a fair trial in the Senate. Um, uh, Mitch McConnell uh, criticizing Pelosi, uh, saying that he, uh, accusing her of not uh, having uh, enough evidence uh, or accusing it of not being a fair trial in the House and saying that uh, the 
he believes she was acting like the case was closed in the house and that it's not right now. Um, but that that's mainly that. Uh, since then, uh, Jeff Andrew, one of the Democrats that voted in favor of impeachment, has switched parties uh, and has become a Republican. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, on Donald Trump being impeached and the whole drama behind uh, that in the articles of impeachment potentially being withheld from the Senate for a time? I'm actually not surprised we have gotten to this point with the um, Donald Trump presidency that we have reached impeachment because there have been so many incidents of Trump basically violating the Constitution, for instance, the Immaculate Clause. If I always tell people, go back and read the Mueller report. It is very damaging in how he was working with Russia to try to influence our elections. So it's not surprising that once we learned about this um, call with the Ukraine president, Zelensky, that Trump was trying to solicit um, the president of Ukraine to dig dirt up on Hillary Clinton to get the email servers and then digging dirt on Joe Biden to learn about um, Biden's son's you know, association with the bank over there. He was on the board getting about $500,000 a month in payment, which, by the way, I think is something we should actually look into. I'm anti-nepotism <laughs> on all sides. But I'm not surprised we have reached this point. I know Nancy Pelosi, for the longest time, she's the Speaker of the House, was hesitant to do impeachment as we're going through an election cycle right now. But at some point, you do have to put power in check. And like you, you just can't keep going around doing whatever you want and violating, violating our Constitution. So I feel like Trump basically bought this on himself <laughs> by trying to solicit basically bribery from another country to interfere in our election to dig dirt up on Joe Biden. Trump was, didn't, was not concerned about corruption, so allegedly against the Biden family. He only started talking about Joe Biden and obsessing about him is because he's now a running mate and Joe Biden continues to beat him and, you know, in polling for the upcoming presidency. So I'm glad we have reached this point because I'm really big on we have to let the powers that be know that you just can't go around violating rules and norms and thinking that just because you're the president you can do whatever you want and trump has said these on occasion where he says i'm the president i'm above the law you can't press charges against me he was even on tv saying china should look into joe biden which is like again like what are you doing <laughs> like you can't ask other countries to interfere on in our elections and for them to do investigations on your behalf to benefit you personally so i'm glad we reached this point um, I'm not shocked that there were a couple of Democrats that voted against the impeachment for, I believe, their own personal reasons. I don't think they did it representing their their state and their district. On the matter of Tulsi Gabbard, she's a politician that really frustrates me because there's a part of me that likes her. I like some of her progressive agenda. But at the same time, I am suspect about her allegiance with the Trump administration and a couple of Trump supporters like David Duke, for instance, and Steve Bannon. I know she kind of has a bit of a friendship with them. Um, and although she has denounced David Duke, I will say, admit that. But I feel like she should have took a position one way or the other instead of just voting present. I don't see I don't see her need for voting pre present. I think the evidence is pretty clear for you to vote one way or the other. And her whole excuse of that he was just trying to be, um, it was a protest vote, and she feels like we're too partisan in this country. And then impeachment would tear our country apart. First of all, our country is already torn apart. It's already divided. So I don't think this impeachment is going to further divide us because we are already there. So, But I'm not surprised we've reached this point. I'm not surprised that Nancy Pelosi is also 
holding the impeachment right now. That's because the Senate leader, Mitch McConnell, said basically he's not going to take the impeachment trial in the Senate seriously. Lindsey Graham, who is leading the committee, he also said he's not going to take it seriously. He's already read it, made up his mind. He doesn't need to read any evidence. We don't need any witnesses. So I don't blame her for holding on to it until she can trust that they actually are going to take this seriously and listen to the evidence, listen to, I mean, read the evidence and listen to the witnesses. Until then, I think she's right to hold it. And, you know, again, I'm not surprised we've, we've gotten to this point. Um, okay, well, let's move on to the next story. Let's go across the pond. Uh, speaking of Brexit, uh, so recently there was a special election, there was a general election held uh, in England uh, to determine uh, who would have control over Parliament. Uh, high stakes for both parties uh, on both sides. Uh, many members of the Labour Party that hoped uh, to remain in the European Union overturning the Brexit vote uh, from 2016. Uh, there was a lot of high stakes for them, um, uh, but for uh, conservatives uh, that wanted to get Brexit done, there was a lot of high stakes there. Um, this was after multiple Brexit deals had failed, um, uh, and uh, ultimately uh, it was a huge victory for the Conservative uh, Party uh, as uh, uh, as Conservatives gained a whopping forty eight seats in Parliament, uh, making this uh, one of their biggest majorities since the uh, Margaret Thatcher era uh, in Parliament. Um, Many, uh, this is considered a big victory for a lot, uh, of conservatives. Um, uh, much of the blame, many, many members of the Labour Party, uh, have been trying to point to the Labour leader of opposition, Jeremy Corbyn, to try and blame him. Uh, they've said the reason why they lost was because, uh, he ran, uh, what they view, what they deem, or what they accuse as an overly, uh, far left, uh, 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 campaign. Um, they think that a lot of his, uh, proposals, uh, for free health care, uh, and, uh, 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 and for, uh, more, uh, uh, bringing in, uh, and for amnesty, uh, for, uh, certain, uh, undocumented immigrants, they believe those policies were unpopular, uh, and they believe that the rhetoric from a lot of labor members uh, that they wanted to remain in the European Union uh, was also unpopular. Uh, and so they are uh, now uh, trying to point that blame towards Jeremy Corbyn. Corbyn. As a response, uh, Corbyn has said that he will step down uh, as the leader of the Labour Party. Um, many people uh, in the Labour Party are now hoping for a more moderate leader. Um, others, such as Corbyn himself, are arguing the policies were popular, but that uh, there was just an anti-Brexit uh, wave um, that led to uh, his defeat, and that was the reason why uh, Labor lost so many seats. Um, but uh, may, here in America, many politicians, many of the moderate Democrats uh, running, have been trying to uh, sign, uh, have been trying to argue uh, that a similar outcome could happen uh, in the presidential election next year if a more uh, progressive candidate wins the nomination. Uh, uh, former U.S. Vice President uh, and 2020 Democratic candidate for President Joe Biden uh, is arguing uh, this, uh, saying in a statement 
that uh, a Boris Johnson victory was due to uh, what he believes uh, was uh, Mr. Corbyn running an overly far-to-the-left campaign and that something similar could happen uh, if a more progressive candidate uh, is nominate, wins the Democratic nomination in America. Um, I don't believe he named names, but he there, there was this sense that he was referring to candidates like Bernie Sanders, the Vermont Senator, and Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. Uh, also, former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg also making the same argument, uh, saying this is a call uh, uh, to nominate a more moderate candidate here in the States. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the uh, victory for conservatives uh, in the UK, and do you believe it could have any implications on the 2020 uh, presidential election, and what do you mean, think it means for Brexit as a whole? Um, I don't personally support Brexit, but I'm also not a citizen of the United Kingdom. But um, I, I'm a firm believer when there's an election and the majority wins, they you need to enact what the majority wanted. And Brexit won the majority three years ago. So I'm actually glad that the conservatives and Boris Johnson, under Boris Johnson were able to win a victory so that they can finally enact Brexit because that is something that that country wants. Both conservatives and uh, Tories, they call themselves Tories over there, and then the labor movement over there, they both supported Brexit. Obviously, people who follow like um, Farage, who's a politician over there, and he's hardcore Brexit. They want, you know, they want more of a hardcore Brexit and the labor movement. I think they kind of waver between hard and soft Brexit. But again, congratulations to them that they won because this, to me, was ridiculous that this has been going on for three years now. It's like, and they still don't have a deal because the Remainers over there refused to accept that they lost an election. They lost the re referendum, but they didn't want to accept that. Um, the labor movement, I think this is a wake-up call for them. Like, they need to get their stuff together. They are telling the truth that their policies are popular over there as far as um, support for the NHS, um, support for immigration, and a lot of social causes over there. But, again, a lot of labor um, members support Brexit. And the Labor Party under Jeremy Corbyn, they never took an, um, an actual stance of where they stood. They kept wavering back and forth. Sometimes they were soft Brexit. Sometimes they were like, oh, we're not going to really pick a side. We're just going to kind of follow what Parliament votes on. That's, what? <laughs> you have to pick a side. Like, you can't keep wavering back and forth. I personally believe Jeremy Corbyn, who was the leader of the labor movement, he still is until they find a new um, leader. He should have resigned two years ago. Even though under Theresa May, when she was prime minister, the labor movement, they had an election, and they did win some seats. Um, which was unexpected that they won more seats than what they were expecting. And you know why they won those seats then? It's because Jeremy Corbyn was for soft Brexit. So at least he was supporting Brexit somewhat. This time, I don't know where his position was or where the party's position was. And I think that's why they got their behinds handed to them, basically, because you have to let people know where you stood. Boris Johnson, um, he had a message for the Conservative Party. We are going to enact Brexit. We are going to get out of the EU. We're also going to fund the um, NHS. We're going to get more staffing, um, get more training. We're going to open up more centers. We're going to fund our, edu our education system. We're going to protect our borders. Like, they had a specific message so people knew exactly what the conservatives stood for or off the Tories. And with the labor movement, again, they, did, they were always going back and forth where they stood on Brexit. So 
despite the fact that they support NSH and immigration and all that, the most important thing over there was Brexit for um, for Brit. Brexit was the number one issue for, for them. And they wanted to know where people stood. And it's, they have sent a clear message time and time again that they are pro-Brexit. They want out of the EU. So I'm glad that they finally sealed the deal at this point and they're going to be leaving the EU in, I believe, in January, at the end of January. So enough was enough with the labor movement. And it is time for Jeremy Corbyn to go and it is time to move on with Brexit, like it or not. Um, what do you make of uh, a lot of these claims from people like Vice President Biden or Mayor Bloomberg uh, that they're, they're claiming now that the reason uh, the labor movement lost so badly was because uh, Jeremy Corbyn was, in their view, quote, too far to the left and that that's going to have implications on the presidential election if they get a Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren candidate. What, what are your uh, – what – what do you make of Joe Biden and uh, uh, Michael Bloomberg making that argument? Um, I actually think that's a lazy argument, and I've heard a lot of pundits as well make this argument. I, first of all, don't believe we should compare our politics with another country's politics. Each country goes through different things, and, and they manage things differently. I actually am not buying that, oh, that's a message for us, so we shouldn't like choose a progressive. That doesn't make any sense to me. We have had progressive presidents in the past. We have current progressive um, elected members in the House and in the Senate. I think what's important to Americans is that you have an agenda and you're very clear on your message so that people can understand where candidates stand and know who to vote for. I don't think that the writing is on the wall for progressive here because of what happened over in the U.K. concerning Boris Johnson and the Tories winning the election. I don't think that has no standing here whatsoever. And I will, can point to just look at the polling right now. Like, the top tier candidates are Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are known progressives. Um, Sanders is a socialist. So, and they are the top three. And then, of course, Biden's a centrist. I think that's very telling that within the top three tier candidates, two of them lean to the left further to the left than any of the other candidates in the um, primary right now. So I don't think that we should pay attention to what's going on in the UK um, involving our own primary and our own upcoming presidential election. I think we should listen to what Americans are saying they want. And from what I'm hearing personally is what people, they want us to address immigration. They want us to address health care. They want us to address education. They want us to address income equality, and that's what we need to focus on here and not what's going on in another country. Uh, okay, let's move on to the next story. So there was a Democratic debate very recently, uh, and seven Democrats uh, made it onto uh, the debate stage this time, those seven being former U.S. Vice President uh, Joe Biden, um, uh, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, uh, South Bend, Indiana Mayor uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, uh, businessman Andrew Yang, uh, businessman Tom Steyer, and Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard had said before the debate uh, that uh, she would uh, not... Uh, she would she would boycott the debate even if she uh, ended up qualifying. She ended up not qualifying um, and making that round. Uh, 
some of the key moments uh, include one of the key moments included a fight between uh, Elizabeth Warren, uh, who accused uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg uh, of taking money from millionaires and billionaires. Uh, Pete Buttigieg uh, s- uh, struck back at that, uh, arguing he was the only candidate uh, on the stage that uh, was not a millionaire or a billionaire, uh, or the only, um, and that he uh, and that. Elizabeth Warren uh, shouldn't, quote, come up with a purity test that she couldn't pass, uh, in his opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, Andrew, uh, there was some controversy over the debate due to the fact that uh, uh, Andrew Yang was the only non-white candidate uh, who made it onto the stage. Um, Cory Booker, uh, senator from New Jersey, uh, did not make it onto the debate stage, but he is still insisting that he that his uh, uh, that his campaign still has a path to the presidency, regardless. Uh, what were your thoughts on the seventh de- or not the seventh, but the uh, newest Democratic debate? Um, the newest Democratic debate I thought was fine. It was similar to all the other debates that we've had. Um, I'm still waiting for that like big like shiny moment for a candidate to like really come out where it just kind of takes your breath away, where you, you think that person should be our next president of the United States. I'm still not there yet. But as far as um, the spat that kind of was going on between um, Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg, I thought that was an interesting moment of them two fighting over... Um, I actually forgot what they were fighting about because Amy had interrupted. Um, so I thought that was a good moment, actually, for Amy when she interrupted... Um, Elizabeth and Pete were kind of bickering back and forth on the issue, and she came in and said, I'm not here to listen to you guys bicker. I'm here to talk about campaign finance reform and what's best for Americans um, in our country. No one's interested in all this back and forth, which I do believe is true. Again, Americans, the voters want to hear like what the issues are and how you're going to address them. So I actually think Amy Koshabar had a very good night, and I'm not was not paying any attention to Amy Klobuchar up until that night. I think she had a good night really talking about where she stood, like, again, on campaign finance, on health care. I know she doesn't support Medicare for All. She's more of a single, um, is it single payer or um, I think it's like a buy-in type of option to health care, mm. um, more so than Medi- Medicare for All. Um, she kind of wants to expand on Obamacare, so, which is, that's fine. That's her right to support that i support medicare for all but i think she definitely had a shining night and i think she's trying to take the centrist lane because um in my opinion joe biden still is not doing a good job in the debates he's not standing out i know he's still polling far ahead of most of the candidates although bernie sanders is nipping at his heel um but um she definitely had a good night i think pete Buttigieg he had a harder night because a lot of people were attacking him and the reason why people are attacking him is because he's starting to rise in the polls. He's usually, he's been coming in at like the fourth place in most of the polls, um, like the average of polling. Hard night, just like Kamala Harris during the um, second debate, she had a harder night because she had such a good night the first time. And then, of course, then she got all this um, publicity and media coverage. So then people came after her because, again, everybody wants to be the standout. They're trying to win a presidency, obviously. So I think Amy stood out. I think Pete had a really bad time. He kind of struggled to defend his lack of um, experience as a politician. He's only been a politician for about six years. 
he is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, but he has tried before to um, win an election in Indiana on a national level, and he has not been able to do that. I believe the last election he ran for, um, I'm not sure if he ran for governor or something, and he had lost by like 20 points, and Amy Klobuchar, she bought that out, and she basically was pointing out that she's the only person on that stage that has won in a deep, deep red state, and I do think she makes a good point by saying, I'm able to win these flyover, flyover states, Midwestern countries. I'm the only one who's won in the deep, deep red state recently as a senator and as a Democrat. So I think she has a good taste on that. Again, I don't know what Joe Biden is doing. I think he's struggling to find his footing, which is very shocking to me. But he's still pulling ahead. And I think the reason why he is still pulling ahead right now is because people are trying to be practical because they really want to defeat, or the left really wants to defeat Donald Trump. So they're trying to think about the fact that Joe Biden is popular with white male voters and white women and black voters as well. And black voters, I always say, are one of the um, most practical when it comes to voting. They're always thinking about, even if they really like a candidate, can that candidate win? <laughs> like, mm. we want to win the election. Like, it's great. Like, I love this candidate. Um, purity test, whatever. But I want to win <laughs> at the same time. I think that's why they're holding strong to Joe Biden because they still believe he can beat Donald Trump. I don't actually believe that. I think he's just been performing terribly. And I was actually listening to an interview recently with someone that was saying how they knew Donald Trump was going to win the election in 2016 is because of the banks. Like the voters were eager. They were always constantly talking about Donald Trump, whether they like him or not. He was always in the conversation. And she was saying that's something we should look towards more than the polling. You look to the excitement from the voters. So that's why I don't think Joe Biden ultimately is going to win the nomination. Andrew Yang, he had a very good night as well. I think he finally got his message through for the universal basic income um, and some other issues as far as campaign finance reform and immigration. It was kind of sad to see no people of color besides him on the stage. But again, I'm kind of not... I don't think we should focus on that too much. Like, it's nice to have a diversity on the stage, but I don't think it should be like a mandate. People should be on the stage because voters want to see them and because they qualify. I don't think we should really get caught up on political identity. But I mean, it was a, it's a shame not to see um, Corker there anymore and Julian Castro because I think they do have a good, strong message as centrist candidates. But it is what it is. I think the debate overall was it was okay. I didn't really learn nothing new about where the candidates stood, but I do think Amy stood out the most, and then I would say Andrew probably came in second. I don't know why Ty Sire is in the debate anymore, besides the fact that he has a ton of money. Um, I'm having a hard time seeing where he stands, other than he just wants to get Donald Trump um, unelected. So, in the next election, so we'll see. Okay, well, let's move on to the next uh, story. So Joe Biden uh, getting a bit of backlash uh, for, uh, or or he received backlash uh, and praise from some people in his base uh, for uh, something uh, he said to the Des Moines Register recently about testifying in front of the U.S. Senate. Of course, there are rumors right now uh, that if, uh, that in the U.S. Senate trial, Joe Biden and his son will be subpoenaed, um, and Joe Biden argued that he uh, implied that he would not comply with a subpoena uh, as uh, he would 
um, he argued that he would not comply with the subpoena because uh, he believed that uh, that would create a medium narrative and that would help Trump win and that would divert attention. Um, and here's what he said. He said, what are you go quote, what are you going to cover? Uh, quote, you guys are going to cover for three weeks anything that I said, and Trump's going to get away with it. You guys buy into it all the time. Not a joke. Uh, think about, uh, think what it's about. It's about what he does all the time. His entire career. Take the focus off. This guy violated the Constitution. He said it in the driveway of the White House. He acknowledged uh, he asked for help. Uh, many people attacked Biden, uh, arguing that he was uh, saying he wouldn't comply with a subpoena from the Senate. Uh, Joe Biden um, saying that's not what it was, uh, saying in a tweet on Twitter, quote, I want to clarify something I said yesterday. In my 40 years uh, in public life, I have always complied with a lawful order uh, and in my eight years as AP, as VP, my office, unlike Donald Trump uh, and Mike Pence, uh, cooperated with legitimate congressional oversight uh, requests. Uh, so, um, but he goes on to say, but I am not going to pretend like there is any legal basis for Republican subpoenas for my testimony in the impeachment trial. That's the point I was trying to make yesterday uh, and reiterate. This uh, impeachment is about Trump's conduct, not mine. Um, uh, he later uh, said in an Iowa town hall, he, uh, quote, uh, that he would, quote, would obey any subpoena sent to me. Uh, and he went on to say, quote, the question is, did Trump do his job? Uh, so you see there, uh, he's kind of saying um, that he would uh, indeed uh, supply with uh, a, a, a uh, comply with the subpoena uh, if he is subpoenaed by the United States Senate. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Um, my thoughts is I kind of find this a bit ridiculous on both sides because I, again, I said if there is some type of corruption going on with Joe Biden's family, particularly his son, and we, we should look into it. But at the same time, I think we also should look into Trump's family and his children that have been getting all these deals and making all this money while their father has been in the White House. Ivanka won all these trade deals um, or patents with um, China. That's something I think we should be looking into. I think overall we need to look into nepotism um, and really address it. I know I thought it was supposed to be illegal, but <laughs> it seems like we just don't care anymore. But as far as um, I think Trump is using Biden as a distraction because he wants to distract from him being impeached in the House. He wants to distract from anyone bringing any type of sunlight to any of the corruption that's going on in his administration. So he's like, let me shine a light on Joe Biden, who also happens to be his opponent in this election. So, or he possibly will be, be an opponent in the election. So he wants to focus on him. And I think we should focus on both of them. <laughs> Let's focus on corruption as a whole. But Joe Biden definitely should comply to the subpoena if he is to be subpoenaed by the Senate. But at the same time, I feel like all this is like just a mockery and just like a mess. Like, what is going on? Like, why can't anyone focus on anything? And I'm tired of pointing pointing back and forth. No, you're guilty of this. No, you're guilty of that. Well, let's just look into both of you guys. How about that? But I do think Trump and the Senate, which is run by the Republicans, they're just using Biden as a 
distraction. I don't think they really care about what his son was up to back when Joe Biden was um, vice president. I don't think, I'm not buying the whole storyline that Trump is concerned about corruption in the Ukraine and trying to end corruption when, again, your children have been up to no good as well, you know, getting Peyton's and I think um, the Kushner's made $200 million since they've been on the White House. What what happened to the Immokalous cause? Like, so I think it's just a big distraction. I don't really think Americans are too concerned about it, honestly, because I think that we as Americans have bigger problems as far as income inequality, trying to pay our bills, trying to get better health care. So, but this is the game that Trump plays. He's always played these games. So just go back to the time with the whole further movement. So he's always pointing his finger at somebody else so that you're not paying attention to him. But again, as a whole, if there's corruption going on, we should just look into it, period. But we should look into it in a bipartisan manner and address it. So that's my thought on that. So. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to the next uh, story. Uh so, uh, could Bernie Sanders actually upset the crowd and win the Democratic nomination uh, for uh, president? Well, some Democratic insiders uh, are saying that could very well be the case. Uh, Politico uh, recently talked with a number of key uh, Democratic Party insiders uh, who are now uh, claiming that they are taking Bernie Sanders' candidacy, quote, very seriously. Uh David Brooke, uh, who was a longtime Clinton ally, said, quote, it may have been uh, a new, uh, it may have been uh, inevitable that eventually you would have two candidates representing each other, uh, representing each side of the ideological divide of the party. A lot of smart people I've talked to think uh, there's a very good chance uh, those uh, two en- could end up being Biden and Sanders. They've both proven to be very resilient. David Pfeiffer, uh, who was a former uh, uh, advisor to uh, former U.S. President Barack Obama, says, quote, people should take Sanders very seriously. Uh, He's got a very good shot at winning Iowa, a very good shot at winning New Hampshire, um, and other than Joe Biden, the best shot at winning Nevada. Um, Uh... So, yeah, right now you're saying, you're seeing a lot of this, uh, a lot of people saying that um, he could do that. Um, And uh, even uh, Michael uh, Cesario, who was a former campaign advisor for Pete Buttigieg, uh, says, quote, a quarter of the electorate will uh, uh, go for him. Um, uh, So uh, what are your thoughts on all these Democratic insiders saying that, uh, Bernie Sanders could be the Democratic nominee for president. Well, for the Democratic insiders, I say welcome aboard. I think the base has long known that Bernie Sanders has a chance of winning the nomination. If you go back to the 2016 election when he was running against Hillary Clinton, he won a lot of those states that we need we needed to win in the general election that we didn't win, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. Um, Bernie Sanders actually won those in the primary. And I believe he has a good shot of winning those again. And some of the polls I have been reading, he's been coming in, I think in most cases, first place in those areas. So I do think he has a, he has a shot. And I think this is why the media is finally taking him seriously. I also think the media is taking him seriously because the Democratic base 
then they tried to act like there was he had no chance, especially when he had um, the heart surgery. They were like, oh, his candidacy is over with. Um, but I've always believed that Bernie Sanders could win the election. I actually thought he would win it against Hillary Clinton, but as some of the people know, the whole shenanigans that were going on with the DNC that I think impaired his chance at winning because they would prefer Hillary and were providing more support to her than Bernie Sanders um, when they were actually supposed to be impartial during the primary. Um, but I'm glad to see that the mainstream media and um, strategists are now on board that, oh, yeah, actually Bernie Sanders does have a shot. Um, I actually noticed recently CNN had showed their, po- their latest polling and they completely left Bernie Sanders out the polling. They had, like, Joe Biden's first place, Elizabeth Warren is second, and then Pete Buttigieg is fourth. And everybody was like, well, who's second? And we all knew it was Bernie Sanders, but they just didn't want to talk about it because um, the mainstream media, is they are scared about having a progressive candidate, especially a progressive candidate that says he's a socialist. So, and as you know, United States of America, we have, you know, a dark, we don't have a good rep- or opinion about socialism in this country. Uh, and for good reasons, there's there's reasons why people are have a negative opinion about it. I don't think Bernie Sanders is that kind of socialist. I think he's more for like social, you know, welfare, helping people out, being more compassionate in policy. I don't think he's more on the side of being like a dictator type of socialist. Um, so I think he has a chance. I think he's going to be the he's going to shock a lot of people when he starts again winning all these primaries in Ohio, Michigan. Pennsylvania, New, ha- New Hampshire, um, and I do think he'll probably end up being our nominee. Um, if not, it might it could possibly be Elizabeth Warren. Again, I don't think Joe Biden has a shot at all. He's not doing a good job. When I talk to people on the ground, they are not impressed with him at all. The media is impressed with him, but the media is always impressed with um, politicians of a certain stature because they want to get interviews, they want to get inside scoop. So... And the media's always just kind of been, I think, they've never been in the loop to where America is. I feel like they're always completely off base because they're just kind of in their D.C. bubble and New York bubble. So they don't really, they're not really listening to the people. Hence why Trump won. Then they didn't expect Donald Trump to win. I thought Donald Trump was going to possibly win the presidency. And he did because, again, I was talking to people on the ground about their feelings and who they were leaning towards and a lot of people then were telling me that they liked Donald Trump so I wasn't surprised that he ended up winning and the same thing here I'm not gonna be I won't be surprised if Bernie Sanders wins the nomination so I think it's time for them to just get ready that we possibly are gonna have a democratic socialist candidate for president uh all right well let's uh move on so uh Gavin Newsom uh getting into uh, the democratic governor of California getting into a bit of a fight with President Trump. Uh, a new video came out that went viral uh, of uh, Gavin Newsom uh, trying to say the reason for California's homeless crisis uh, was uh, thanks in part uh, to uh, an action from the Trump administration. He says in a video that the White House uh, was uh, not serious uh, and, quote, playing politics. Uh, with his, quote, housing first policy. Um, And uh, Trump uh, fired back at him. Trump responded to a tweet from Fox host Tommy Lahren that said, quote, take accountability, Gavin. This is from Tommy Lahren. This is your state 
uh, and your Democratic cohorts created this mess. You can't blame Donald Trump forever. Step away from your hair gel and get to work. Uh, and Donald Trump uh, responded to that tweet uh, attacking uh, Gavin Newsom, saying, Governor Gavin N., referring to Governor Newsom, has done a really bad job of taking care of the homeless population in California. If he can't fix the problem, the federal government will get uh, involved. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, on this fight between uh, Governor Newsom and President Trump? Um, I think the fight is childish because I think homelessness in our country is a significant problem and it's something we should take seriously. I don't see homelessness as either a Democratic issue or a Republican issue. I see it as an American issue that we need to address. And I don't particularly like seeing our politicians bicker back and forth when I think this is something we should be united to try to solve. Homelessness is a rampant um, problem in all 50 states, California, Oregon, New York, Mississippi, um, Michigan, Detroit. I mean, homelessness is everywhere, and it's something we need to address. And that starting with one, we need to address the housing crisis in our country. Our housing housing bubble is is expensive. It's expensive to rent. It's expensive to get a mortgage. Um, we need to address income inequality. The, the pay gap is ridiculous just between middle class and millionaires. And then not to think if you break it down by sex and you break it down by race. Um, it's a phenomenal problem that we need to take seriously. And I just kind of wish both. Um, Gavin Newsom and Trump would cool, cool their heads down and be adults <laughs> and say, let's work together to solve this problem instead of bickering again. And that, like I said, this whole pointing fingers back and forth, you're guilty of this, no, you're guilty of that. Americans are tired of that. And I think this is why a lot of Americans have can just completely tuned out of politics and don't even engage in politics and in voting because they're just like, you're just, you're just both arguing. We need to start solving problems. I'm really big on let's unite and try to fix the problems that we have. Again, instead of just arguing back and forth about it, that's not solving anything. That's address the issue. First of all, admit the issue, and then that's work to address it. Um, because, again, homelessness is a very – it's a serious problem, especially amongst our vets. Um, I'm also tired of Trump always trying to threaten to use big government to go after a state because he doesn't like a certain politician. To me, that's borderline of kind of acting like a dictatorship, and I wish he kind of would stop that. I don't think Donald Trump is a dictator, obviously, but I think sometimes he try to kind of shows that that side of him, and I don't, I don't like seeing that. So I think that both of them need to cool down. I actually um, surprisingly don't mind the tweet that Tommy Loren sent out, although I'm not a fan of hers at all. Um, but she kind of had a point there. It's Donald Trump is not responsible for he didn't create homelessness, but neither did Galvin Newsom. Our system, our policies created homelessness again through income inequality, the housing crisis. Um, and Silicon, like with Silicon Valley, they have made it so expensive for people to live in um, areas in San Francisco. The rent is just it's phenomenal, it's like it's about two thousand dollars just for a one bedroom apartment. Look, the average person is not make, is only making $60,000, and that's actually a pretty good salary, but if your rent is $2,000, you're, you're struggling. Like, you're basically living paycheck by paycheck. So, again, I wish the both of them would just stop bickering and take homelessness seriously. I would like to actually see them unite and solve the problem. 
All right, well, let's move on. So, controversial radio show host uh, Don Imus has died uh, at age 79. Uh, Imus uh, was known for his ongoing rivalry uh, with, uh, uh, with uh, radio show host... Uh, um, with radio show host Howard Stern. Uh, like Stern, Imus was known to shock audiences with politically uh, incorrect statements. Um, uh, he uh, uh, he uh, had a show called Imus in the Morning, uh, which ran uh, uh, on CBS for many, many years. Uh, he was known for his politically incorrect statements. Uh, he uh, he did get in trouble, however, uh, after uh, uh, in two thousand and five after he uh, made a comment uh, using a racial slur uh, about a uh, a black uh, basketball uh, team uh, that led to CBS pulling his show from the air. Although he did eventually land a deal uh, to do another show. Uh, Imus retired uh, from his show officially in 2018 uh, and died uh, this Friday at the age of 79. Uh, what What are your thoughts on on, on Don Imus's death? I do send my condolences to his family on his death. Um, obviously, losing a loved one is always a terrible thing to have to go through. Um, at the same time, I'm not a fan of his because he has, like you said said a lot of racial things towards people. He not only said anti-Semitic things to Howard Stern or about Howard Stern, he also called um, Howard Stern's co-host Robin the N-word. He called a group of um, basketball players, black women that are black players for um, Rutgers University, he called them nappy-headed toes, which is, you know, insulting. I mean, he, he has said a lot of terrible things about people. Um, I've read up on it, and apparently he's called a lot of black people to their faces the N-word. <laughs> so, um, I don't know what to say about that. That's very disheartening to me. And it's one of those things, again, like, where I wish white America could understand how hurtful it is to people of color when we see them, like, offering all these oh, sympathies, not the sympathies part, but saying, oh, he's a good, he was a good person, he did a lot of things for children with cancer, which is great. But he also had this other side to him where he said a lot of disparaging things about people of color that they, you know, that scarred them basically for life. You have to carry, I mean, I'm a person of color and I deal with it on a daily basis, you know, dealing with people who say negative things about me just because of the color of my skin. But um, Sean Hannity actually tweeted about Don and he said, I'm heartbroken. I knew the real Don Imus. Imus adored his wife and son and his adopted son and had a heart of gold. The work he did for children with cancer will live on forever. Every email he ever sent me made me laugh. Always smart, witty, revelant. Um, and Godspeed, Don Imus, as you move to the great rodeo in the sky. And I'm, obviously, I'm not going to chastise Sean Hannity for sending that out about a friend. But again, at the same time, as a person of color, you're saying, yeah, okay, he did those good things, but again, he also was not a nice person to people of color. He, to my knowledge, did not apologize for these things that he said. So it's always hard when a, a person with such a, I would say, a colorful reputation passes away because you don't want to be disrespectful to the family. 
but at the same time, you don't want to lie about who that person was. So I guess I'm kind of between a rock and a hard place. My condolences go to the family, but I'm personally, I don't have good thoughts about him. So that's all I can say on that. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to the next story. Uh, so Donald Trump is uh, coming under fire uh, for uh, retweeting uh, a uh, tweet uh, from a Twitter user named SurferMom77, uh, which uh, uh, put the name uh, of the alleged whistleblower, uh, according to SurferMom77, Eric Carmelia, uh, a former Obama uh, campaign uh, advisor, uh, or a former a national security advisor on Obama's campaign was the name of the whistleblower. Um, this is citing a Washington Examiner uh, article uh, that uh, said that Carmelia was the whistleblower, um, and uh, and also a Breitbart article that re- that uh, allegedly broke the story. Uh, many people uh, are arguing that this is illegal to do. Uh, other people are saying that it's uh, not because he just retweeted an article um, uh, and he didn't post it. Uh, other people are arguing that there could be legal consequences. What are your thoughts on this? Um, I do think it's illegal what he did. I think it's irresponsible. Again, I wish Trump would remember that he is the president of the United States and you just can't just do whatever you want. There's, there's protocol. There are norms. I believe in protecting whistleblowers because you can put their life in danger. It has happened in the past when we reveal whistleblowers' names without their permission, ultimately, and we have put people's lives in in danger. So I think what he did was wrong. I actually think that's something that the House should probably investigate as well because just because he's upset about being impeached and the whole investigation process doesn't make it okay for him to reveal classified information again we have rules in place that we protect whistleblowers because we want people that work for the government to be able to feel safe to go to the proper channels to report incidents of corruption or things that are concerning to them they should be able to do that without fearing for their lives because if we get to the point where our public um, servants don't feel safe then we're never going to be able to bring sunlight to some of the corruption and the um, misdeeds that might be happening within our government, who we pay their salaries, by the way. And we have every right to know what's going on in the inside. So I think Trump owes an apology, first of all, to the whistleblower and to the country as whole from just once again taking his personal feelings and, and just blowing up, <laughs> like just completely blowing up on his Twitter. He needs to learn, again, to, to cool down and to second-guess things before he actually does things. Like, actually think about it and think about the repercussions of what you're doing before you actually do it. So, but he doesn't tend to do that, and that's a big problem. And I hope that um, the whistleblower is safe um, and that Trump doesn't do this again. So... We'll see, but I think he needs to be talked to I by channels that be that he can't keep doing stuff like this. So that is my thought, as well as, I mean, the media, they report on things when they get information, so I'm not going to necessarily blame them, although I think they should still be responsible 
and think about the repercussions of what you're reporting. You could have just reported on the facts of the case, leaving the person's name out. But again, we live in this hyper-partisan society right now where we're always pointing fingers everywhere. So we don't really, people aren't really thinking about the, the, the effects of what we're reporting and how we're reporting things. So it's disappointing. But it's too late. He's already, he's already put this person's name out there. So. Uh, all, all right. Uh, well, thank you again for joining us. That's about all the articles or all the stories we have for this week. Uh, before we go, are there any other uh, – or do you want to tell people where you can be found uh, social media-wise and where they can listen to your podcast? Yes. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me on to your show. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Um, my social media, I'm on Twitter. And Instagram is at the Kiana Fulton. My first name is spelled Q-U-I-A-N-A. And my podcast is called You, Me, and Polly. You can find it everywhere, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher. Um, you can just even just Google my name, Kiana Fulton, and all my information will come up. All right. Thank you again uh, for joining us. Thank you, and have a nice New Year's. You too. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Bye. Bye. How would you describe the shape of the field and your place in it? I don't know. I don't really think about it in those terms, in part because I'm a bit of a different kind of Democrat. Mm -hmm. If you look at the things I've worked on in the Congress, they've been progressive. They've been big ideas that kind of, I think, will really change the, this country and make the future better. But I've consistently worked on finding common ground to get them done. A Maryland congressman, a businessman, John Delaney planned his run for the White House just six months after Donald Trump took office in 2017. But who is John Delaney, the first major Democratic contender for the White House in 2020? The Candidates Donald Trump has got to be defeated. And I intend to do everything that I can with every other progressive in America in making sure that that happens. Their stories. We got a real opportunity to build something. And their fight for the White House. Keep America great! Exclamation point. Keep America great. This is Presidential Profile 2020. At that inflection moment, where were you? This is that moment. It's our job to remind the American people that we're looking out for them. So all of you, showing the country how you do this. The special interests and the powerful have such an outsized influence and outcome to restore our democracy. John Kevin Delaney was born in Woodridge, New Jersey on April 16, 1963. The son of Jack and Elaine, Delaney at one point helped his father at a family-owned construction site as a kid. Delaney is of Irish descent. His father owned a labor union called IBEW Local 164, something that Delaney credits for helping him obtain scholarships to prestige colleges. He graduated from Bergen Catholic School, Columbia University, and Georgetown University. Delaney got a law degree from Washington College in Chestertown, Maryland, a state where Delaney would reside most of his life. In 1990, he married April McLean and had four children with her. Delaney would continue to pursue a successful business career until 2012 when he made his political run. Incumbent Republican Congressman Ross Q. Bartlett had served in Maryland's 
6th district since 1993. In 2012, the district was controversially redrawn, allegedly to favor Democrats. Delaney announced his candidacy for the seat and received the backing of the Washington Post as well as former President Bill Clinton and Congresswoman Donna Edwards. I'm John Delaney. I'm running for Congress and here's why. I don't think we have to settle for unemployment, harsh budget cuts, and a Congress paralyzed by a Republican right. Delaney received the Democratic Party nomination and handily defeated Bartlett by a whopping 21 points. Delaney faced a much harder than expected challenge two years later against 2012 Republican nominee for U.S. Senate and future NRA TV political commentator Dan Bongino in a favorable year for Republicans. My main objection is based on the fact that the budget is built upon a fundamentally flawed analytical framework. In November of that year, Republican Larry Hogan carried the district in his gubernatorial race, leading him to win and become the next governor of Maryland. However, Delaney held on by a few thousand votes. He would have an easier time getting re-elected in 2016 when he took down Republican Army Hober by 16 points. During his time in Congress, he would introduce the Open Our Democracy Act of 2017, aimed at combating gerrymandering, which many attribute for his success in Congress. He was rumored to be running for governor in, of Maryland in 2018, challenging Republican incumbent Larry Hogan. However, he declined, making a much more urgent announcement. I'm going to tell you something you may never have heard from someone running for president before. The truth. Delaney announced he would be launching a campaign for the presidency just five months after Trump's inauguration. As a result, he would not seek re-election for a fourth term in Congress in order to focus on his run for the White House. Delaney said the reason he was doing this was to expand name recognition. Delaney was succeeded in January 2019 by David Throne, who endorsed his campaign for the White House. Retired New York Senator Richard Hanna, who was a Republican, also endorsed Delaney for the White House. While well, both parties seem to focus on fighting, I'm focusing on the future. Delaney has been described by many as a moderate Democrat, although he considers himself to be a progressive. He is pro-choice and has a 100% from Narl, though he claims to be morally against the process of abortion. He supports legalizing marijuana. He also claims to support universal health care, though he is opposed to the Medicare for All plan supported by Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. Most Iowans understand the concept of starting early. After all, there's an awful lot of work to be done. Now he hopes to take on Donald Trump and become the 46th president of the United States. To learn more about the candidates running for president in 2020, stay tuned to Politics Weekly and make sure to stay after for the Presidential Profile 2020 candidates. But if we take these challenges head on, the future is ours.